Hey, what's going on, guys? My name is Kenneth Jackson. I'm an actor from Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Trey Riley. I'm a writer-director from Charlotte, North Carolina. And this is Cinevibes. We're here with someone really special for this first interview on our Cinevibes podcast. And this is a guy that I've known for quite some time. In fact, we've worked on, I think, every one of my projects together, and possibly his as well, outside of his sound work. And that's my buddy, Gavin Harwell. We're glad to have him on the show. He's got a vast pool of knowledge, a lot of insight. He's a fellow cinephile himself. That's right. And just an all-around good guy, and we're happy to have him on board for our first interview and without further ado, let's turn it over to Gavin. How's it going, guys? Thanks for being here, buddy. I'm glad welcome, to be welcome. here. Yeah. All right. What are we so, talking about today? Yeah. So, so, all right. First off, we want to get to know you. So, give us an introduction. Where are you from? And your entire cinephile history. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina, which is where. I met Trey and met Ken, sort of. Um, been here my whole life. And it's where I'm currently working and, you know, doing my sound stuff. Um, I don't remember specifically when I first, like, started getting into films, but I think part of it had to do with uh, my brother loving films, my younger brother. And that ended up being a way that we uh got to know each other and bond a little bit more uh mm -hmm. just as brothers and from there it just kind of i mean i'm obsessed i just love films so well i think it's only appropriate that the first question be about the reason that you're on here today which is sound and oftentimes that goes overlooked on film sets perhaps the last minute thought to grab the sound guy and bring him on board right. and you got your brother holding the boom pole in the corner <laughs> and you know it's really something that's not talked about enough and we're glad to have you on board here and so first off just tell us what you do what's your role on set yeah so my role is a uh, location sound recordist uh, slash mixer and basically all that means is uh, I provide the sound that's recorded on location for the project, whether the project is an interview or um, a reality shoot or, you know, film, um, shooting short films or feature films. Uh, my job is to uh, mic up actors and uh, I am also the boom guy on most things that I work on. And basically... Uh, <laughs> It's a very, very important job, but um, <laughs> it's often overlooked, as you said. It kind right. of tends to be at the bottom of the call sheet uh, <laughs> next to the, uh, the wonderful PAs. He means that quite literally. It is at the bottom of the call sheet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's it's always, it, it, it's not like a big deal, but when you show up on set, there are times where you're like, oh no, like I literally will be viewed as unimportant. So it's times like that where the call sheet 
kind of comes into play where it's like, oh, yeah, they actually don't care that I'm here. What's and, that uh, one phrase that <sighs> I'm going to mess it up, but something about if you're not noticed, it was a good day or something like that? Yeah, uh, and that's very true for uh, my role is, uh, you know, I'm not looking to get, you know, pats on the back or anything like that. That's not why you do sound. Mm -hmm. You do sound because you love it and you want to create projects that are <laughs> super cool. Let's, uh, let's, uh, or do, is there editing in this? <laughs> There's editing. Yes. Okay. Cool. <laughs> we'll keep the jingle in. That's gotta be the, that's gotta be the theme for this now. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'm not sure if you're cutting that out or if my washer is just going to be in the podcast now. Right. Um, I'll, I'll cut it if need be. Um, what was the question? <laughs> it was just about how if you're on set as a sound guy or a girl, then you being right, not noticed is yeah. a good thing. All right, so I'll start there. Um, yeah, so as a sound recordist, you know, you don't get in it for the praise or the pats on the back. You do it because you love it and you want to contribute to the project uh, through that, you know, artistry, that medium which is providing sound. Uh, it's half the picture sometimes more, um, or half the project sometimes more. Um, but yeah, there are days that I've worked where the director or producer came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I didn't even know you were here today. Good job. And to me, that was a compliment because that meant that the production went smooth, that I didn't raise any problems, that I didn't have any problems, that I felt like were needing to be addressed or I address them without causing a ruckus. Yeah. Which is also important. Yeah. I, th I think that uh, is one topic that I think is really interesting. Like we, cause we were talking about how it sort of feels like you're not seen. A lot of your work is like, what's not seen, you know, like a lot of stuff that goes into film is stuff that's, you know, seen like their hands are seen on the set or in some form of fashion in like post, but like sound is one of those where, you know, it's good, right? You know, <laughs> it's going good. Like we're getting good audio, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I've, it's always funny when I don't have to provide an IFB, which is just like a listening device, to anyone that you know I'm recording sound and they can listen to uh, an IFB and hear what I'm recording. And so there are days when I don't provide one of those, and I get the "Hey, good job today, man!" And I'm like, "Do you have no idea if I did a good job or not? <laughs> <laughs> no one was listening. No idea. <laughs> yeah, no exactly. one knows anything. Yeah. So that's always strange. And yeah. so you know." The amount of time you've been doing this is fairly short, right? Quite short, yeah. Yeah. So how did how did you get into uh, sound? Like, what got you into uh, doing sound in the first place? I wanted to make movies, and I was listening to a podcast, and the guy, the host, was talking about. I don't know if he was even specifically interviewing a sound person, but he mentioned, "Hey, like, if you want to start making movies, be a sound guy." because everyone has a camera and everyone's going to want to direct something. And I was like, all right, that sounds fine to me. I'll do that. Um, my dad has a back, he's a musician. And so I, I spent a lot of time working with not learning them, but working with instruments, learning cables and faders and like that kind of thing. So I think to a degree, like that was like ingrained in the back of my head. I don't know that it had a huge, uh, 
play in my decision to do that. It was more just sure. the passion of wanting to make films. And yeah. if I can be an integral part to that process, a part that is necessary and needed on virtually every project, then sign me up. And so got my first equipment and worked with Trey not long after on 48 hour projects. That was in what, 2017, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. My first kind of the end of it though. I think that was like the August or September of 2017. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. then after that point, you know, you were still working other things at the time, I believe. And then when was it that you kind of fully jumped in? Yeah, I got my first audio kit working at Best Buy. I got a Zoom H6 and a shotgun mic and a boom pole and was just like, all right, this is what I do now. And, is that uh, like the <laughs> entry level starter kit? If you had to like, yeah, throw that I, out there. Yeah, I would say that that's, that's, we can get into kit later if you want to, but that's a, that's a starting place for sure. If you're mm-hmm, wanting sure. to, you know, provide sound on a location. Mm-hmm. Um, and then not to jump too far ahead, but within virtually a year, I decided to freelance. Um, just, you know, I'd worked on a couple of projects after that 48 hour, you know, doing that. Um, I think within six, eight months, Trey and I had worked on two or three projects, me working a sound and it just kind of became a thing that I was going to do whenever someone wanted to make something. And from there it just turned into a whole thing. Mm -hmm. And so by the end of 2018, going into 2019, you were like fully in it. Yes. Uh, I got my first gig, I guess you could call it while I was working full time. That means Uh, he made money. (laughs) That means I made money. (laughs) And, uh, that is like, (laughs) I guess I could explain that story, but I got paid and I wasn't sure if this was real. Like if this is how much people actually make. And when I realized that, Oh no, like this is pretty normal. Uh, it was a very quick turnaround where I just told my wife Becca where I was like, I just kind of need to start doing this because even if I'm only working a couple of days a, a month, uh, it beats working <laughs> what I was working for what I was getting paid. So, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we don't have to get into like how, you know, film folks get paid, but they don't kind of, it's all for love. <laughs> right. A lot of passion projects, right. IMDb credit and mills. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the thing, right? You, you're not working like a nine to five per se, but when you are working, it's at heightened rates that allow you to kind of afford to not be working during those interim times. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's essentially a trade job. Uh, it's a, it's physical labor. Um, anyone that's working on professional film sets know that, you know, it is, it is a labor of love. It is a lot of physical work. It is a lot of sleepless nights. It is early mornings and hot suns and cold winters. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work, but you do get often, uh, compensated for it when you find the right project. And I've been fortunate enough to make it my living. Mm -hmm. That's awesome, man. I I think that's a great point is like take the whole freelancing thing, because I feel like a lot of people, and I think I struggle like 
with this myself like whether it comes to working the camera photography or some sort of like that like i don't feel like i have the sort of confidence to be like i'm your guy you know what i mean so like how was that for you going into freelancing like what how has that been so far like because now i feel like you got that sort of confidence when you walk on a set that's like you know i know what i'm doing with sound just let me do my job but like in the beginning how was that for you it's it's total imposter syndrome um, you, especially when you're working on people's short films, um, when you're, when you don't really know what you're doing. And, um, I remember I, when I bought my first wireless mic, I had no idea how to use it. No idea. <laughs> like I, I had gotten it for a shoot cause I was like, I need these and then did not like look up how I was supposed to use them or anything. And I just threw them on bodies and it was a disaster. Um, <laughs> it was a total disaster, but you just, you just kind of have to f the fake it till you make it is the most real thing ever in this industry. I believe mm -hmm. like there are a lot of incredibly talented folks that do uh, a lot of amazing work, but even they fake it a little bit, you right. know, whether it's an, I can do that or I have that gear or, I know a guy you're, you're constantly just trying, yeah. especially when you start out. Um, yeah, I have a lot more confidence going into sets now, but I also know my lows and mm -hmm. what, where I've been when it's not worked well. Um, yeah, but I mean, starting out, I, I think, uh, sorry to cut you off there, but, um, you know, there's sometimes I feel like I remember where you're like, yeah, I got this gig and then I like, jumped right online and bought what they said they needed or like rented the 100%. thing and it's just like you gotta yep. do what you can to get the gig oh yeah i mean uh the gig i'm working on right now like i i had only learned how to do part of what i'm having to do every day a couple of months before i started working the gig and it, i won't say what it was but it was a fairly like normal thing in the sound world that i'd only just learned um, and so it's just one of those things where you make it part of your normal routine and then it becomes part of your arsenal and your, your kit where you just, Oh, I know how to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, imposter syndrome even now. Cause you know, I'm talking to you guys, like I know anything and I've been doing this a very short amount of time. So I'm also very aware of that where there are guys that have been working decades on this but you know you happen to know me so <laughs> i'm yeah, not I mean, getting that, interviewed I, I feel like it's no matter what it is uh, i think anybody trying to get into anything artistic it's always like the scariest thing to take that jump and i think i i just admire that so much like going into freelancing because even someone who has worked with like the adobe suite done all that sort of design work i'm not willing to like be like yo pay me like this much and i'll give you like this design right so i definitely respect that and i think that's fantastic and i agree that it's like constantly towing the line of what you know and what you can say you know right and then yep. yeah just going along with that it can be difficult but at the same time you're, you're cutting your teeth you're trying to be like yes i can do it and you know just getting out there and doing it right yeah anyone in the freelance world it doesn't matter what they're doing if they're uh, a set designer or uh, a pa or doing what i do freelancing is i mean god especially now with everything going on but like 
you know, I'll work with people or I'll meet people and start to talk to them. And if they get a gig, you know, working as a PA on this really cool project, I get so ecstatic because I, I know what it's like to get a gig when there Mm -hmm. are none. And that is just, it's so satisfying that you, it's that risk that you take of, I don't have that check coming in. Yeah. And then as people know that work in freelance, sometimes you do work and you don't get that check for 60 days. I mean, that's also a, an element to it where you're putting in all this work and you don't see the, the benefits immediately. Right. So it's hard work. And we uh, obviously, I think we'll talk a little bit about kind of how it's been during COVID at some point and we can get to that in a, a second. But um, 2019, I mean, that was kind of we'll call it your breakout year, so to speak. Talk about like the learning curve, like on each project, were you having to buy new gear or, you know, did you find plateaus and like you were able to work yeah. um, at a certain level? Like talk about that a little bit. I think Ken used a pretty good term, you know, cutting your teeth. That was for sure what it was for me. Um, I remember I, I started 2019 off um, working on a short film and it was in Miami, Florida. And I had gotten the gig on one of the websites that I was using to find work. And they had no idea until like the second day I was working that I did not live in Florida, let alone live in Miami. (laughs) Um, And they were like, you drove here? And I was like, yeah, is that not normal? (laughs) Like, I was just so, uh, yeah, I was just so hell bent on finding work you know, and working mm-hmm. on cool projects. And, uh, when I had found these guys, uh, invaluable experience, they made a really sweet short film, uh, had a really nice budget. Is that and, Neon Rabbits? Yeah. Neon Rabbits. Um, so I worked on that, uh, New Year's Eve through like the third or fourth of January to start the year off. And then from there, <laughs> I mean, I don't really remember working until February. Um, it was nerve wracking cause I had, I'd started freelancing kind of going back and forth here, but kind of started freelancing in on Thanksgiving of 2018. And so 2019, you know, start off with that short film. Um, fortunately the all-star game was in Charlotte and I worked every day that week and I was, I was just thinking that this was the best, this was the best decision. <laughs> this was a perfect time for me to start doing this and I know what I'm doing, but yeah, I mean, even that November we uh, November part in 2018, that was when I was starting to work with really high-profile businesses and clients, uh, specifically Players Tribune. I was a big fan of their work. They do sports documentary and player profile. Mm-hmm. And um, I got to work with them a couple different times, working with elite athletes that I was big fans of. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's this element of, is this normal? Like, you know, I get to, I get to do this and work on these projects and, Oh, I've seen stuff like this before. That mm-hmm. to me is when it kicked in where I was, you know, starting to, I think get a little bit more comfortable where, you know, even if something does come up and I need to buy gear or whatever, um, you just kind of make that leap and start doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I, I, I feel like it goes back to the whole point is that you're constantly learning no matter what type of gear it is. Is that how it is with you whenever it comes to like audio equipment? Are you always like searching for new stuff? Is that, is that something that is always on your mind is like, is there something else that I can do as far as like improving my kit or uh, being better on set? Like it, I'm sure it's still like a huge learning process right now, right? hundred percent. Um, and it'll only be that way until I stop doing it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> until it, death. yeah, I mean, even something like, uh, so I would think, I would say that forums and, uh, lately Facebook forums are invaluable to someone that's just trying to learn anything, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're like, Oh, I want to start a podcast. What does that look like? Well, I was looking at this software and then you look up that software on Facebook and boom, you have a forum where you can ask a million questions. But where I was going with that is something as simple as how do you mic someone up? The responses mm-hmm. from people that have been doing it for 50, 60 years is there is no one way. <laughs> right. Because not only does it, uh, a good example of that is uh, in the winter of 2018, I was helping on a, uh, a buddy's short and I was micing uh, a girl talent and I was using these bra clips that worked all the time. They had never not worked. And they weren't working with her and she was wearing a specific dress and I was like, I don't know what it is. So I had to mic her a different way. The next day, the very next day, she was wearing the same dress because it was a continuation of that scene. And I tried that bra clip again and it worked fine. Huh. And I was just like, that's that's, wild. why does that happen? I mean, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's just trial and error and you can only learn through experience. But I think one of the frustrating things is sometimes even the experience just kind of looks you in the face and goes, yeah, I don't know either. (laughs) Yeah. There's just anomalies sometimes. It's just, it's just, it depends on the person. It depends on the shoot. It depends on the weather. It depends on all that stuff. But to answer your like actual question, um, it is a total learning experience and you're always looking at gear. And I think my mindset the last several months has been what makes my job easier. Mm -hmm. And I recently have moved to a very pro wireless system, um, a pro sound system, mm-hmm. and it just runs circles around what I was using. Right. And it's for just any that. Of, for any of the people listening that might be well-versed in that area, what kind of stuff are you talking about, you know, in terms of the Best Buy kit to pro level? What kind of changes are being made there? Yeah, so I think... Um, on a beginner level, you have something like a Tascam or a Zoom handheld recorder. That's what a lot of people use. They'll use that and um, a shotgun mic and they kind of call it call it a day. A step like a above, Rode mic with a yeah, blimp or something. Exactly. Maybe. Yeah, a Rode mic, something to protect it from wind, um, and then a boom pole, and they're kind of just pointing it at the talent. <laughs> right. sure. um, a step above that would be a field mixer recorder that sits in a bag where you can attach wireless units uh, and mic talent up. So that also includes wireless um, mics. Uh, Sennheiser is what I was using. It's what pretty much anyone has in their toolkit, even if they've been working for 30 years, just Mm -hmm. because it is a very easy and reliable system. Um, And then from there, you're starting to learn, okay, these mics do this a little bit better than what I have. And then from there, you just progress to uh, kind of a pro system. The system I'm using is called uh, Zaxcom, and it does a lot of really sweet things. Other 
brands out there like Electrosonic, Sound Devices. You know, it's it's kind of just the difference in a Red and an Ari and uh, a Sony Venice and Cook lenses versus Prime. You know, it's just prime a lateral lens. move, it's, like whatever you're into. Exactly. I I was looking at that the gear purchase as what benefits me, what's going to work for me when I'm working by myself what's going to work. And so that's why that's, that was the sole reason I got the system I got. So I think that's an important note to make, um, maybe in all aspects of filmmaking, but specifically with what you're doing is you have to find a system that works for you. Mm -hmm. And yeah, well, it's like, it's like, sorry, not to cut you off, but like a DP that, you know, gets custom lenses and he gets a 32 millimeter versus 35 me that doesn't right. know anything about that stuff goes, why would you do that? Why would you not just order a 35 from B&H and call it a day? But they mm-hmm. know because they've worked with this stuff. And um, I think it is just, you know, an artist uses specific tools and I, our tools are expensive, unfortunately. <laughs> right. And, you know, obviously you're not like hanging on to all this gear, like you're selling it down or, you know, trading it in some sort of fashion to other people like starting out or kind of right behind you. Yeah. I think part of that is you just don't want clutter. Uh, you want what works for you, but you, you do need backups to a degree. Um, Mm -hmm. but you, you basically just kind of want to remove stuff and, and also help people. I sold my, uh, road blimp, which is a big old case for a microphone to protect from wind. I sold it to a guy through Facebook and he was talking about, you know, what he was going to use it on and work on. And I was like so ecstatic for him because I had no, no need for it anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just happy to help him out because he obviously needed it. So that's yeah. super cool. Yeah. That's yeah. something I've found in the film community in general is people are really generous with not just their time and like being on your projects, but also like gear and, you know, trading things or, reduce prices just because like you want to help people make stuff Mm -hmm. yeah i think that is an unfortunate an unfortunate like uh thing that happens when you do work on your given craft long enough is you start to actually realize that and the the passion projects become less worth it unfortunately um you you start to realize what you're worth get a little bit hardened yeah, and it's it's unfortunate in the sense of like, oh, yeah, I'll just come out and help on a Saturday. I mean, the other part of that, too, is I am married and like, you know, I need off days. I need to spend time at home with my family and like that kind of thing. But right. also uh, when someone says, hey, I have a hundred dollars for you to come do sound for 14 hours and you're bringing twenty, thirty thousand dollars worth of gear that starts <laughs> to look like not a lot, unfortunately. Right. Someone's getting a really good deal there. I want to add to that, though. That's why it's important to, for all aspects of the crew, get people on board that are jacked about the idea. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, It's unfortunate when people are in a bind and say, hey, we really need someone this, you know, Saturday night or Friday night or for three days or whatever. Mm hmm. But you know, what you ideally would have is a conversation with the director or producer and saying, Hey, look, this is the budget. We know that you're worth more than that. We don't have that money. What do you, you know, here's the script. Here's the idea. I've worked on several projects where I read the script and was just like, yeah, I'm in like, I know you have no money, but I'm in right? because 
I knew that experience or those people were going to be either, you know, potentially lifelong relationships or just a really cool project that you wanted to help uh, be Mm -hmm. a part of. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that uh, definitely goes for a lot of different things throughout the film industry. Uh, And personally, as someone who's an actor, I definitely want to make sure that they're serious about what they're doing. You know what I mean? You don't want to go out and like spend so much time on a project that, you know, it's just out in their backyard and it probably won't even get made and you won't get any like material from it, you know? And I've definitely, I, I'm very cautious now. I'm a lot more cautious than I was before uh, to just go and run out and join a project. But I've had those moments where I would drive states away to do a project, <laughs> right? Like that. You and me both. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the thing is that it's that passion that you have to just get out there and go do it. And that, I think that's what's infectious about the industry, but also I think that definitely can be a burden as well because, you know, someone can get caught up in that and not recognize their worth. And that's what you had mentioned before. And I definitely think that's a big thing to consider when jumping on a project. Yeah. When you're starting a low budget project, you know, you already know, and maybe it goes without saying, but it does help to say, I know what you're worth and I appreciate you being here. Um, you know, yeah, driving states, states away. And I know you've been there though. There's a lot of, a lot of good times. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I think just speaking of that from a director trying to rally the troops perspective, um, the way I would speak to Kenneth trying to get him on board a project as, you know, the lead actor and the way I speak to Gavin trying to get him on board to do location sound is the same like I want them both to read the script and be jacked about it and be you know fully on board and want you know bring their own specific talents and time and you know intangible things because once that happens when the money's not there at least you had a good time you had fun Mm -hmm. and there's something that you can't quite put a price tag on is having fun Mm -hmm. yeah I, I definitely think that and um you know, Gavin worked on Fall Nights as well. This is where all the roads start converging is uh, in Fall Nights, and this was where I met Gavin and Trey. But that was uh, one of the things is, you know, the project with you know, Fall Nights was it was these this small group of people that I had seen previous work from and I knew that they were dedicated. And I even told the producers of that. I was like, you know, halfway through when it was getting, you know, more months were passing and stuff was passing and it seemed like silence just kept coming. I was I was like, dude, I was like kind of shaky on their confidence on getting this thing done. But you know, after seeing them literally go sleepless nights to get this stuff done and crank it out and seeing how far they were going to make sure it got produced, it was something that I was like, yes, sign me up. I'll keep coming back because that's something that's electric, right? It's something that just keeps you going. It's the passion and the grind. It's it's infectious. There's nothing like a film set. Nothing mm-hmm. like it. Yeah, we actually, all three... Uh, at various times worked on fall nights and I'd say overall have really fond memories specifically like the filmmakers they're just really good guys and to Kenneth's point you know they're driven like Mm -hmm. we you know seeing the end product there was from like all the work they put in was amazing 
Yeah, it's definitely uh, with that project. Every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, there's that hurdle. Oh, that was the problem with this location or that was the problem with this. But I think that does speak to like why I join projects. And also, I think it touches on a deeper issue. Like when you sign on to a project, Gavin, like when you look at a project, what do you look for in a project? Like I'm you know, now it's probably like, the, you know, what you can get from it, like monetarily, but also like, what do you look at it from like the uh, setup of the call or something like that? How do you know it's legit? Right. How do you know they're passionate about it without even like talking to you the first off? What gets you interested from it? Um, I think the first thing that would that my mindset would be at would be the investment of time. Mm -hmm. um, how much time is being invested. And then again, unfortunately, it's just the result of this is what I do for a living. I don't have a check to fall back on. So mm -hmm. the investment of time and the money. But I think from a no budget short film aspect, uh, it really is how the conversation starts, who these people are and, and how they approach their idea. Um, you know, I think having a plan for your idea at this level is invaluable. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, how, you know, is the idea, uh, you know, just as a, someone that loves films, is it an idea that I'm like envious of? I mean, you know, is it something mm -hmm. that I kind of wish I had thought of, you know, yeah. I want to see happen. And if I know that I can, you know, bring that to life through sound, that, that that's a huge boon, um, whether I have the actual time to do it. Mm -hmm. Talk about some of the, experiences that you had on set because obviously you know in the moment you're all there there's you know 20 extras there's people running around everywhere the ad is trying to wrangle people it's 20 degrees outside no one's got time to tell you anything like what's like what kind of mindset do you have to bring in to your role you know on set in those kind of shaky moments uh you have to be very patient um, not only, you know, whether it's 20 degrees outside or you're working inside, a lot of my time on set is waiting just because the camera lighting blocking that takes precedence. My job is when we're shooting, <laughs> you know, I have to, I'd, I'd love to game plan with the directors and, uh, you know, have an idea of, Oh, is this a car sh shoot? You know, is this a car scene? Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> you know, it's like, you didn't, you didn't <laughs> tell me, uh, you know, having an idea going into the day of what we're shooting is huge. And that's, that's huge... stuff you can grab from the call sheet, hopefully, right? Hope, mm -hmm. Hopefully. Yeah. I have a funny story about a call sheet I was just sent and was not happy about it. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like a call sheet does what it tells you where and when. Mm -hmm. And I have a vague idea of when and no idea of where. So my <laughs> follow-up email has to be, Hey, I know that it says this time, but does that mean that's when we're starting or does it include time to build or, and then the location is a vague area that I mm -hmm. don't have a physical address for. So just as a filmmaker, that's, that's not smart. You get the address and then you drop the pen and it's just an open field somewhere. <laughs> no, I don't even have a physical address. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a lot of, it's a lot of patience. It's a lot of, you know, I have to be very in people's space. Uh, mm -hmm. when I'm miking people up, um, everyone's different. Everyone has 
you know, a different perception of themselves. And so when someone they don't know is coming in and miking them, um, you have to be very, I mean, I try and be like funny and, you know, very open and just explaining exactly what I'm here to do. Cause you know, whether they're actors or not, you know, you, you kind of just want to run through the basics of I'm placing this here, I'm lifting this here, that kind of thing. Sure. Because if you don't do that, then you can come across as a guy that you don't want to be. Yeah. So right. Communication just, is yeah. right. Yeah. Constant communication with the talent and with the directors or director or producers or, uh, with the, the lighting, you know, whether, you know, Hey, that's, you know, that's, I can't boom with that light there. What mm-hmm. can we do? Uh, I had a really difficult situation working with a, a gaffer who had lit, uh, he was using a specific light and I told him that I could hear it and it was a very tight shot mm-hmm. and the, the light was super close. And I asked him if he could either back it up or turn it off right. uh, and find a different source because it was, it was affecting the audio. That was a very emotional scene and I wanted that noise gone. Mm-hmm. And I, he basically had said that he he'd used this light a million times and had never had a sound guy, you know, have a problem. And I said, well, I'm just telling you, my mic is picking it up. And it got <laughs> to the point where I had to like tell the director, I was like, do you want to listen to it or do you want to like listen to me? And then it ended up, that ended up being just like, no, I trust you. And so we moved the light. So, you know, it's just like, you know, I'm not, I'm not one to like cause trouble, but Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, like I have a job and he has a job, but it's give and take. I mean, it's like you lit that here and I had to boom around you for six, you know, six, seven shots. Mm -hmm. I'm asking one time for you to move the light. You know, it's give and take and you, you need to have a very comfortable set experience with talent, with crew, you're working long days with each other. So yeah. whether you're working a two day short or a 20 day feature, you yeah. know, it's I gotta love be. That. I love that fortitude of like standing your ground with something like that, because I think that's something that, you know, when you're new to something like, and whenever I was doing anything that's new on set, I'm kind of like, Oh God, am I, am I doing it? Right. It, it might, like I'm sort of having a mental breakdown inside. That's probably personal, but that's an uh, acting thing. <laughs> that's an acting thing. Uh, you actors. I think I think that having that, you know, feeling inside is I know I'm right. You know, I know deep down I'm right. But a lot of people that start out probably are like, OK, fine. You know, we'll just let it pass for this this time. You know, so I love that resilience. Yeah, to stand I, have no, your ground. I have no shortage of, I think I'm right. <laughs> I th- it's just, it's just it's a matter like a of state of being. It, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately it is. Um, I, I think for me, it's knowing when, when to pick your battles and when to die mm-hmm. on them. And that was just one I was willing to die on. It's like, you know, this is, I know this scene, I know what it needs and I know what it needs for me. Mm-hmm. We have a problem. And, and that's a pretty good, uh, segue actually, because sweet, you know, what someone later is going to have to deal with if you don't address it on set. And so, you know, in the case of what you're talking about, if you don't say anything, you know, you're going to get into post and the sound editor is going to, you know, be pretty ticked off, you know, having to try and work around that uh, dialogue or whatever it was you're recording. Um, And so I know you've done some post sound, but by and large, what you get paid to do, at least, is on location. Is post sound something that you're into or, you know, trying to get more into? Yeah, I think it 
kind of comes back to something Ken brought up earlier, which is, you know, at, you know, how you approach learning things that is the post side of things is very much something that I feel like I have to learn. Not everyone that works in location sound feels that way, but you, it, it is invaluable to go into a situation and know, have a rough idea. This is fixable. This is not, you Mm -hmm. know, when you're doing an interview and you've got all this noise going on and you kind of just go, eh, that's, that's just the way it's going to be. But then when something happens that is beyond those sounds that, you know, I don't want that there, mm-hmm. you can, you know, voice your what are opinion some about examples it. of, say, fixable things that you've learned or things are like, we just got to figure out how to get this changed because we're not going to be able to fix this. Um, I think a, there's not really a great way to answer that. I think the big thing is context. And I've not done a narrative project in a while, but the idea, at least in narrative for me, is it needs to be pretty clean, like as clean as you can get it, because then you can manipulate around it. You want a clean source if we're talking about dialogue specifically. Mm -hmm. The job I've been working is essentially a reality job where you're going to have noises. Like the idea is that this is real life these are real things that are happening and stuff happens around it. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot looser, you know, room to play with in terms of what can and cannot be fixable. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, something as simple as well, mine just kicked on, but the AC, uh, when you're shooting a narrative project, that's a great AC, example. <laughs> the AC wow. has to, perfect timing. Yeah, exactly. The AC has to go off and it's unfortunate. Yeah. I did refrigerators. A, things yeah, like exactly. That. Yeah. And there are cool ways to like, you know, remember I have to turn that off. Oh, I have to turn it back on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did a, a pilot in Nashville, Tennessee, where there was six talent on camera the director, the AD, two, uh, one camera, two assistants, me, hair and makeup in the back of the trailer. This was all on one bus. Ooh. And they had the bus running because they were waiting to shoot the scene. Mm-hmm. And I told them, I said, this is not filmable if that bus is on. And yeah. it was a, I think it was 102 degrees. Mm. Dang. And so you have to be that guy that's like, hey, I'm going to raise my hand and make it miserable for myself and everyone. <laughs> but that was what it needed. It needed to be yeah silent so yeah so that's the literal blood sweat and tears of it right <laughs> right but like to add on to the original like question it's something that i'm very passionate about learning is the post sound element mm-hmm. i ran into a situation with cicadas uh on the shoot and i took pictures i did my own edits within my software i sent it to post and said is this fixable this is what i've done in five minutes what are you guys comfortable with in terms of editing? Because mm-hmm. on these types of shoots, not a lot of audio gets perfectly cleaned. It's not right. a film that you've been working for two years on where everything is just crystal. It's more you know, run this and is, gun. This is very rushed. And I don't mean rushed in a negative way. It's just you have deadlines. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I sent it to them quite you know, quickly to let them know what we were dealing with on, on location and to tell them this this is this was going to be a norm and so Mm -hmm. it that's the other part of this is just communication you know i know i'm not dealing with it i'm dealing with it on set and i hate it (laughs) i don't want to pull my headphones off i don't like (laughs) that sound but i am also turning it in at the end of the day and then i walk home or you know i go home and then i come back the next day and i record it so i want to provide them something that's workable um but yeah to answer the question i'm very passionate about the post side of things 
specifically editing, but also sound editing. And is there something that you can do as a location sound guy to help post? Like, is there any sort of documentation? Yeah, you'll get mixed things about what you can do to help post. I've, I've read plenty of forums and I've listened to plenty of conversations with, you know, Boardwalk Empire, Game of Thrones dialogue editors, and they'll they'll say something like, yeah, we don't really need room tone. Well, <laughs> when you chop <laughs> things up the way my, sh- my show is doing it, I know that room tone is hugely valuable because if you don't have a constant state of something of a floor, then when you cut to things, it could sound really choppy. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's also, you know, when you have millions and millions and millions of dollars going into perfecting something, you know, stuff like that may not matter as much when you have full suites Mm -hmm. to edit. But if you're talking about just you, me can make a movie, what do we need? You know, you want to provide, lots of great different things. I was talking with uh, a guy that works at um, ILM on Twitter the other day, and he's a sound editor. For It's pretty in- casual, just <laughs> talking to a guy at ILM. <laughs> yeah, well, the full context of that was Jim Cummings is working on, he's the director of Thunder Road. Great movie, and, by the way. And he was asking, you know, he's t- thinking about putting together a little series of videos about filmmaking. What can he do? And I mentioned specifically sound obviously but for instance i gave a specific reference which was the scene in in thunder road where he strips and Mm -hmm. he's completely naked outside of his underwear and i was like you know the sound operator has to know like that scene's coming what do we do because you can't be mic'd Mm -hmm. things like that you know because you'd want to mic him like on his body right well, I mean, I'm assuming it was boomed, but it's just, mm-hmm. you know, one of those conversations that needs to be had about this is what we're dealing with with this scene. Mm-hmm. How do we how do we tackle it? Yeah. And then from there, the ILM guy talked with me and um, he had really cool things to say. He's just a really smart guy. So that's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, one thing and it goes with knowing like what you need uh, when going to set, being prepared, having the shot list, knowing that you know a scene is coming where someone's not going to have clothes or this sort of stuff. Like these different elements happen, and I think that um, it goes into like the equipment as well as that you know and the skill that it takes and knowing. Like I've been on a set where someone uh, they were doing the sound. And they ran and they unplugged the refrigerator and they're like, someone remind me to plug that back in, right? And I think it's these minute details that a lot of like beginning filmmakers don't see or they don't hear. And that, that's something that can really change the outcome and the final product of so it's like these these minute details that you only learn from, you know, years of being on the job or at least like being on jobs and realizing, oh, I gotta remember to do that next next time, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, one of the things that's often used for the refrigerator, as an example, is to leave your car keys uh, next mm. to the outlet. It's a very common thing that's used. Uh, I don't remember who it was, but they mentioned uh, on a forum that they use um, these like Wi-Fi. They're not Wi-Fi. They're like Bluetooth controlled plugs. Mm. And you have a remote and you plug in this little socket where the refrigerator goes mm. and you can plug the refrigerator back in, but then you can turn it off remotely with the remote. Ah. And then at the end of the day, you're not going to forget to 
you know, take your take gear that home. with you. Yeah. So you can turn all these things off and on at, you know, when you go to lunch, you know, if that fridge is way back there and you got to like plug it in kind of weird and it's like, you can just turn it on and off. Mm-hmm. So that, that's um, like, but yeah, literally. it's just back to tools and what makes your, again, I'll harp on this. What makes your job easier? Right. Yeah. So That's a great reuse of a tool because those are usually for like lights, you know, uh, we use them for Christmas lights. <laughs> yeah, like practical lights you want to be able to control more quickly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nice. Very cool, man. Um, we could obviously talk about sound for hours and hours, and we'd probably love to have you back on and do a part two follow-up, especially... Even more in-depth with everything, yeah. As you yeah. continue to grow and have more experiences. But I wanted to jump over to your actual original goal like why you're doing this and you Mm -hmm. said to get into film Mm -hmm. and with that obviously the goal being you know at least directing perhaps writing and you got the chance to do both of those things recently so tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about your first short film yeah my well i first want to thank ken because he drove to go see uh eye candy uh and that i had no idea he was coming and that that was awesome he also came to disconnect from really far away so yeah uh, ken's a let's take ken's a moment a great guy. ken it, is awesome <laughs> it goes back to that whole thing is that you guys like i'm not gonna say well actually i am gonna say you guys are pretty much my first family when it comes to like film because like my first huge project that introduced me to filmmaking and like on a big scale we're not talking like student film we're gonna go shoot in a cafe and get run out by the manager i'm talking like we actually have like we we're at a location that was set for that and we have people dedicated to different roles right and so that was that was one thing is that you guys i i knew you were legit and I, I seriously like would drive a state away to go to anything y'all were doing. And I think it goes back to that whole thing is when you're around good people, it doesn't matter the distance. I'll drive two states away to be there for you guys when you do a short. Because I know you guys. I know Ken, you're legit. Ken, we were talking about me. So. <laughs> oh. oh. I'm just kidding. I'm busting just your balls. Feelings. <laughs> no, dude, I, I so agree with you. I mean... Uh, that was such a f- like familial experience and getting to meet you on fall nights and, you know, bringing Trey on board to come out for a couple of nights, you know, those are bonds that hopefully last a really, really long time. And, and it shows in how you view these relationships for you to come out and support us. So I just wanted to thank you because that's really cool. We love you, bro. <laughs> Thanks. Man. Love you, bro. Uh, <laughs> yes. So Trey and my buddy, Jeff, uh, helped me to make my first short film, Eye Candy. Uh, we shot it for the Made in Carolinas film project here in Charlotte. And it was a script that I'd written for the 100 Word Film Festival. So I'd had it for a while. And um, basically I'd shown it to Trey. And then when the Made in Carolinas project came about, I just kind of pitched it to him again. And then Trey was basically just like, we need to make it. So, I want to take a quick aside there, and this is important because this goes back to projects you want to be a part of and how do you choose them. I remember where I was sitting <laughs> like three years prior to what I was making eye candy. I remember where I was sitting when I first read it. We were at the mall, North Lake Mall in Charlotte, and for some reason he had the script. I don't remember why. 
he's like hey here's this thing i was like cool you know it was fairly short because it was for the hundred words i read it i was mind blown like this is the kind of stuff that i my brain would not allow me to think of and this guy wrote this thing and he's just like casually handing it to me like (laughs) oh i did this little thing the other day i don't know like maybe it's good well i remember that vividly as well because i was terrified because we were we were getting closer as friends but you know it was a very aggressive script if you've seen it you'll know why if you haven't You'll well, find out. And I may touch on that as well, but I think I think the script does things that I didn't necessarily get to or accomplish with the film itself. Um, but yeah, I remember that experience of showing you and you know, that vulnerability of, you know, he could just be like, I have no idea what this is, bro, but cool. <laughs> and, right. you know, obviously that's not a reception or reaction that I would want, but it was a reaction uh, instead of, you know, praise, which was really, really cool. You know, Mm -hmm. coming from a friend that I trusted. Um, But all that to say, yeah, we we made it and we shot it in two days for about 500 bucks. And um, it went on a little festival run and was just, you know, one of those experiences where it was a total experiment and I'd never edited anything before uh, from the video side. I wanted to learn how to edit. Um, Mm -hmm. I knew I didn't want location sound because I knew that that was hard and I didn't want to hire somebody to do it. Couldn't afford yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's... (laughs) Yeah, and uh, I didn't want to do it and I didn't want to have to worry about it. So that script worked perfectly because there's no location audio needed. And so, yeah, it just was kind of the ideal get your feet wet and cut the umbilical of weird and also the kind of experiment that I was wanting to take on in learning how to make a film. Mm-hmm. Talk yeah. about the power of the audio specifically for iCanny because this is something we've talked about at length. But just briefly, when we say sound is everything, I think iCanny is a great example of why that is. Yeah, that was that was definitely the idea at least is creating a, a soundscape very really emphasizing the medium which was film and to me when i watch a movie and i'm moved by ambiance or music or soundscape for all intents and purposes with the visual medium uh i'm incredibly moved that was the idea behind eye candy in in how we shot it uh, I explained to Jeff and Trey and I was like, so this has to be four minutes. Right. And then they were like, right. And then I said, okay, well it's, I have like a hundred shots. That's not, <laughs> that's not doable. So you guys need to talk me out of it, even though that's what it has to be because that's how I see it. And mm-hmm. you know, it was just one of those things where it's like, ah, this is how I see it. I don't know how to do it any other way. Yeah. Um, and I remember cutting it for the first time. And when I finally trimmed it down to like that four minute mark, I remember thinking, uh, this is kind of silly because it was a silent film. <laughs> there, right. there was no sound effects. We didn't record any. I mean, we recorded a couple of location sounds. Uh, don't, sure, remember, yeah. don't remember using hardly any of them. Um, and so it was a virtually silent film for that cut. And I remember I showed it to my parents and I was like, why did I show that to you? Like, that's not the <laughs> film. <laughs> so, like, the film is, the film is a you know, sound heavy four minutes. Uh, So 
uh, fortunately, uh, my wife had gone away for a couple of days and I was not working and I spent, I honestly think it was like 30 hours in two days just working on audio because mm-hmm. I had no experience with doing music or synthesizers or, or hardly any of that. And so that mm-hmm. was an experiment that I wanted to take on. I didn't want to give it to someone cause I knew what I wanted it to sound like more or less. And I wanted to kind of just have that experience for myself. It was a very selfish film. <laughs> well, selfish in this case proved to be quite an amazing project. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love the film, obviously, you know, I was a part of it, but, you know, Ken, when you think about your first thoughts on it, like, where are they at with that? Uh-oh. Well, no, I, I don't, don't Fresh be scared. Take. It, it was, uh, I, it was something that I, I can tell you I was not expecting, but I think it did, like, the, the meat and potatoes of what it was representing was something that it floats through my mind constantly is our connection to our devices and just how big of an impact it can play on our lives uh in multiple different ways um and i think it uh it it touched on something that i i never saw put on the screen in such a way and i thought it was fantastic and uh, like some of the visuals that you had like i loved the lighting like i remember when you were going through the productions of this like you had um what were the lights that you were using like the tube lights what were what we used quasar tube lights quasar tube lights with those like that's all we use now Mm -hmm. quasars everywhere they lit like and the aesthetic you went for for that little like uh, in between space I thought it was fantastic and just the way that uh, you had like the visuals I thought were great um, it, it, and also like the sounds importance I thought was uh, definitely fantastic because as someone who's trying to write now like not relying on dialogue heavily you know what I mean to drive yeah. the story forward it's more about the visuals that you see yeah i think for me um this isn't a question that you guys asked but it relates to how i kind of conceive and process ideas that i come up with and they're very uh music based Mm -hmm. um i tend to come up with trailers in my head and my favorite types of trailers normally don't have a lot of dialogue I, i prefer to just show me Mm-hmm. What Unless you're, what it's you're a trying to do, Kanye lyric. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the reality is, it's it's all subjective because some films just are theater pieces. They require a lot of dialogue, and mm-hmm. I love the, some of those types of films. But I tend to gravitate in my ideas toward, you know, immersion and experience. And again, I've only made the one the one film, but in terms of how I process ideas, I think that that is something that will linger. Uh, moving forward for a while. Mm -hmm. And do you think that is tougher on you in terms of putting out your content into the world, even with eye candy and moving forward, there's often that thing tossed around where people are like, do you spoon feed? Do you rely on people's knowledge? And, you know, when there's a lot of dialogue, let's say, a Sorkin film, like you, you kind of know what's going on. He's literally yelling it all at you. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, you got that exp- exposition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When it's 
like an arrival type of film and all the dead spaces where you're supposed to just like really grab onto the visuals and the sound cues. Mm-hmm. Like I could see you making films like that. Is that scary for you? Like going that particular route? Um, well, I can only speak to the experience I had with eye candy, which was, I, I told myself that, you know, six people are going to like this movie and that's okay. <laughs> Two of them are talking to you. <laughs> Two of them. Yeah, it's like Trey and Jeff will like it, and that might be it, Gavin. That might be it. Um, and so you tell yourself that, and that kind of helps with you know the, the expectation element. Um, you have the written stage, the shooting stage, the editing stage. And then as I talked with Trey when I was kind of having some doubts about the film, there is the reception stage that people mm-hmm. don't often really talk about, even at a very low level, which is where I am. Um, but yeah, the reception of the film, when the, the idea that you give to people is not necessarily what's interpreted mm-hmm. is, is a hard pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. And I think moving forward, kind of to answer your question, Trey, it's just, you know, I think it's just a, a learning experiment, um, mm-hmm. where there are a lot of things I think I did okay with eye candy and I think there are a lot of things I learned from uh specifically you know this idea that I had where I I really wanted people to sit and linger with what I was attempting to say uh, in this very you know particular way right and then you you spin around and you look at the runtime and you're like it's four minutes long like who is going to sit with that and you know, gain anything from it when another film is playing immediately after, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's tricky. And so I, what's the only with them? Right. I think the only way I kind of like just landed with it was that when I look back on the film, am I okay with it? You mm-hmm. know, for what it was and what I tried to do. And, you know, it's not for everybody, but I knew that. <laughs> and I think the people that it did reach, which uh, we were, I'll shout out one festival. There was a festival called Deep Cut. And the guy that was running the festival emailed me and just had nothing but praise for the film mm-hmm. and talked me through uh, his experience watching it. And all of the comments he had were exactly what I was trying to get across with the film. And I mean, honestly, like that made, (laughs) it made everything worth it because one person got it and Mm -hmm. you should always strive to hit more than one person. (laughs) Uh, But I I can say that that made me, you know, you want that affirmation of, I went and set out to make this type of film. It's for a very select audience. Maybe that audience is not the Charlotte film community. Um, I wanted it to go kind of other places and you just kind of, you know, it is what it is, but, uh, yeah. moving forward, you know, those are ideas that are tough when they're not necessarily general, mm-hmm. but you know, it, <laughs> I don't expect to make very many general audience films. So, right. Yeah. I think that the reception is something that I was very, I, I wanted to get your opinion on cause that's something that you're stepping into it's not a world that you're unknown to but it's directing wise you're it's like putting your 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 child on display if i should say such a it's thing it's awful 
<laughs> and you're you're putting your your baby on display for other people to see. Like, what was that like going to a festival and watching your film on the big screen? What was the, that like for the you? The first time. The first time, uh, I was not drunk enough to watch it the first time, <laughs> or the second, or the third. Uh, no, it, it it makes my stomach hurt and i didn't i didn't watch it i didn't watch it at all until like once it was cut until mm -hmm. i had to like start sending in specific types of formats to specific festivals um I, I then had to watch it to make sure that there wasn't anything wrong with it um but hopefully i can get to a stage where i can just send that to somebody and they can make it so i don't have to watch it again um <laughs> But yeah, it, you know, it is one of those things where I did get to the point where I was like, you know, I'm kind of over the film, you know, I'm kind of over it, you know, it was a great experience and, you know, I'm ready to, ready to move on. But, um, yeah, no, the first time was incredibly nerve wracking because, you know, people like maybe know my face, like, oh, they've seen that guy with Trey, <laughs> you know, it, you know, Trey's talking to people and it's that guy just kind of in the back. Um, but then it's like, oh, he made something. Oh, he made that. Oh, Wow. Oh, okay. You know, and mm -hmm. I wasn't necessarily setting out to make, um, you know, shock, you know, a shock film or anything like that. I, I, I thought it, it just was shocking, mm -hmm. um, for what it was. So what have you got lined up? What are you excited for? Ah. When is your next, uh, directorial, you know, venture? never hundred years <laughs> I, I have no uh, roadmap to when I'll be doing that again um, I think my my mindset is right now on work and getting through this mess that we're all witnessing right now and yeah. finding finding a way to sustain to, to sustain anything um, right. I have a couple of projects that I I'm hoping to kind of work on um, in different capacities, different roles um, with people that are knowledgeable and that have made proper films. And um, I think that's where my headspace is, is wanting to learn as much as I can, because it's right. one thing to go out and make a short film. It's another thing to have a basic idea of how to uh, talk to investors and mm -hmm. how to uh, <laughs> get money for a project. <laughs> Um, right. because I don't if you find out how please let me know <laughs> if you find that <laughs> pot of gold please exactly but I mean it gets done and you know here it gets done yeah. you know just down the road and people do it and they find money and they they talk with people and they meet people that are better at XYZ than they are and they make a film and it sounds very easy when you explain it that way but I think that's where my headspace is is to uh, further my career in that regard uh, yeah. The story, the stories, and the ideas are well, they'll be there. Um, mm -hmm. I don't have the attention span to write, so um, getting them on the page is another story. <laughs> yeah, like I'll I'll mention an idea and I'll be like, "That yeah, would rock." I would watch that, but then I don't write <laughs> it down. So uh, I think that's my problem is I I'm just not a writer. So I can come up with ideas and I can brainstorm, but mm -hmm. uh, I know I. I I know how I want things to look, but you got shots in the brain. It's just you, you writing can't. is not <laughs> writing is not for me. <laughs> hey, that's good to know. Play to your strengths. Nope. There is one now, thing that yeah, there is one thing that's coming up though, and that would be Trey Riley's film that we're going to shoot. 
So uh, we don't need to talk about that. Little sneak peek. (laughs) It's called Youth, and we are going to shoot it before the year is over. And yeah, so I guess that's that's one of the more immediate things beyond work is uh, getting that off the ground. Mm -hmm. And Gavin has played a huge role in making that all happen. So it's kind of the uh, give or take of indie filmmaking and. If you're not working on your own project, you're helping your buddy with theirs. And that's kind of how I've seen, you know, some of these smaller groups doing it. And it's effective. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's a good buddy of mine named Paul, and he's come out to both of the projects that I've shot. And uh, I owe him, you know, X number of hours because he came out and just helped and mm-hmm. so I've, I've chipped away a little bit at some of those hours, <laughs> but I definitely still owe him a couple of days. Um, some sweat equity there. Yeah, because it's just like he just did it. You know, I asked him, he came out, and I owe him for that. And so it's people like that and finding multiple people like that, really, to just help you on your on your path to creating things. I'd argue that that's probably similar for the acting folks you find your group that you guys all want to kind of maybe pursue similar things and you work together helping each other with auditions and things like that so Mm -hmm. maybe we can touch on that when we talk with you in the coming episodes yeah i i think that it definitely is a big thing is finding a group of people that you know are dedicated and are they have your back and i think that's one of the we we talked about it earlier but scary things about the film industry is that and all one of its graces as well is that you know you have such passionate people but also to counteract that you have a bunch of people who are like you know they're kind of passionate about it but in a different way in the fact that you know a lot of people um they see the end result of fame and other such but then you have the people who are literally like i just want to get better and better and better and just go out and shoot and you have you know as someone who is starting to write and wanting to direct his own like scenes shorts other stuff right it's it's being very uh proactive and having the confidence that i have a friend group behind me that i can call on right i think that's something that's extremely important right 100 percent. yeah you gotta find your crew i'll produce your project ken Thank God I wasn't going to ask you outright, but (laughs) (laughs) I knew it was on the tip of your tongue. I'll do it. You caught my drift. Nice. All right. So like, what is something you've been watching lately, Gavin? What is something you've been watching? Have you been binging anything? Uh, no, I, I've not had time to, to binge watch much of anything. Just uh, NBA basketball. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, trailblazers, <laughs> Mavericks, uh, man, there's 45 seconds left. Uh, <laughs> hold on guys. We got to finish watching. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, big NBA fan here. I'm glad it's back. Uh, but, um, I did watch host, which is the Rob Savage film on shutter. Uh, mm-hmm. Shutter is a streaming platform for basically uh, mostly horror. Mm-hmm. Um, they shot it during quarantine, and um, it's entirely ta- uh, shot in Zoom. Mm. Um, and it rocked. Uh, it's 56 minutes, and it's the the time like the amount of time is perfect. The idea is solid. There are a lot of scares. Mm-hmm. Uh, really enjoyed it. And then immediately after, I watched a film called Relic. 
which is an Australian oh, like. first uh, first time feature. Um, and that was a very heavy film, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was nice to kind of get in my, uh, my, my dark horror feelings for a little bit. Cause, uh, mm -hmm. don't often get to, to indulge, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, hard to recommend, uh, either with both one being on a streaming platform that most people don't have. And then the other one being a really depressing rental, but, um, that's what I've watched, uh, that I can remember. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's hard. Like that's, that's one of the things about film. That's kind of like, you know, it, it comes in many shapes and sizes and people get messages across in different ways, you know, it's, and the way they show it is always interesting yeah. to see. Yeah. It's weird. Um, the cool thing about host is that, uh, it's the number one trending movie on, uh, letterboxd, mm. uh, which is, which is nuts. Um, interesting. Yeah, I watched another film called Vivarium. Uh, my British friend mentioned okay. that film. Uh, it's another horror, psychological horror with Jesse Eisenberg. That was a really cool mm. movie. Um, low budget, two people basically the whole time. Um, yeah. Uh, Where can people watch that one? Uh, I believe Amazon. Amazon Prime. I was about to it. say, I'm pretty okay. sure I just saw that when yeah. I was on there earlier. Yeah, so it's solid. three different platforms with three different movies that impacted you. Yeah, yeah. I would say uh, um, I'll probably be watching a couple more horrors over the next week. Yeah, I think that's really cool. All the different outlets we have now and ways we can see people's visions come to life. Mm -hmm. And obviously, no that's what nice. we're all trying to do here. And we uh, appreciate your time, as always. And uh, just best of luck grinding it out during Thanks, the man. covid stuff and uh i look forward to hosting this podcast in a couple weeks <laughs> yes 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 please can't uh, say enough good things about gavin if you ken, guys want to find I listened him to the first episode and uh you know, yeah, ken's not long for it so <laughs> oh god oh no He's got if you guys want to find gavin he's on all the social medias mainly twitter he's heavy on there I don't yeah. know your handles. If you want to shout those out, feel free. I don't. <laughs> please, please do. And also, like anything that happens, you know, keep us updated. We really love to keep uh, keep tabs on it. Uh, you can uh, follow me on Instagram at H A R W H I T. That's Harwit, and then I'm on Facebook with my name, Gavin Harwell. Absolutely. And by the way, iCandy is public, so you guys can find that on Vimeo. If you just search iCandy, I'm sure it'll come up. Yeah, type iCandy short film on Vimeo. You'll find it. Yep. Nice. And I think that'll do it for us. We appreciate it, Gavin. All right. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I really love talking to Gavin. He's always fun to talk with, especially like whether it's on set or just personally. He's an amazing guy. Absolutely. We appreciate him being on the show and hope that you guys found that helpful and perhaps inspiring. If you enjoyed this episode and you are vibing with what we're doing, you can find us on Instagram at TheCineVibes or you can reach out via email at CineVibesCast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Yep, and again, thank you guys so much for watching. Really hope you enjoyed Gavin. Fantastic guy. And we're out. Mm -hmm.